Blog Talk Radio. people 
as it were, when they let us all in at about 3.30, um, people were walking around, and there was Gronk. And I guess he just figured, people probably aren't going to recognize me. And yeah. not, that my, not that my child was going to recognize Gronk, but she was – let me tell you, you want to enjoy wrestling again? Go with a kid who likes wrestling. Because, man, did she make it fun, fun, fun. Then again, it's her first WrestleMania. I didn't yeah. take her to the Atlanta one, which in retrospect was great, because now her first WrestleMania was a good experience. But <laughs> she, so she's wooing all over the place, right? She's just woo, you know, because she's the echo from being on, you know, in that stadium. And uh, Gronk woos back, and she gets up in his grill, and they start wooing at each other, uh, which was awesome. I recognized him, and I'm, I'm like, what the hell are you doing here? And he's just like, ah, you know, man. And uh, so he normally, I guess, doesn't do pictures, but he did a picture. So I have a picture of him and Elena. I'll be sure to send it to you so you can put it up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's yeah. a great picture because she's, she's wooing. And uh, WrestleMania was a phenomenal experience, um, just incredibly well done. I mean, the show, I, is the show still going on, for crying out loud? It was long <laughs> as hell. Um, no doubt, but, uh, just in terms of WrestleMania, I'm always of the mind that WrestleMania is not even, a, it's not about matches. It's about moments that they're, they're, you know, they're sort of just adding on to more bricks onto the sort of historical monolith called WrestleMania. And this, this one, they were definitely determined to come up with like five or six things that would sort of live on for years. So I, I have to ask you, was the response live to Lesnar and Goldberg as awesome as it sounded on TV? Yeah. I mean, yeah. wow. Which was remarkable. I, I'll say this for that. I, I mean, if I have heard through people that would know that Orlando's looking to get WrestleMania back in three to four years. Yeah, and I heard the same thing. They, they made a very strong case for themselves. Um, you know, it was the, the, the events surrounding it were great. Um, that's probably the best WrestleMania fan access they've ever done because they did it at the Orange County Convention Center. And anybody who knows Orlando, that's the spot. I go there a lot because I cover events for the magazine. And uh, it's gorgeous. And most of the events I cover for the magazine – we'll have one of the like B or C list spaces. Obviously, since it was WWE, they had the entire floor um, and it was just beautiful, beautifully done. Um, the, the person who made a great impression on me was actually Becky Lynch, who I thought sort of handled the, how do I put this delicately? Well, why should I start now? You know how gross wrestling fans can be, Larry? Um, <laughs> really? I, I, I never noticed, Steve, that wrestling fans can be gross. Really? But, but I'll, company, I'll take your word for it. Present company excluded. But Becky Lynch handled these sort of like leering, drooling fanboys who, you know, she handled that. She handled like kids really well. She just, I, I thought she came across they're missing something with her on television because there's kind of a personality there and sort of a genuine sweetness that they're not able to tap into. Um, even, even as my child was berating her 
um, because she says she's not steampunk enough, and she gave her a bunch of suggestions on how to kind of change her look up, which she was all about. I mean, like, you know, my kid drew, like, pictures and, like, and you, you do this mechanical thing with the steampunk because my kid's all about the cosplaying, and so – um, but it was great. Uh, you know, it's people dressed up um, for WrestleMania. Some, there was a group of guys in suits. And then there were all these people who were dressed, of course, as WWE wrestlers. Uh, my favorite faction was there was just this group of just fat, slovenly dudes. They kind of reminded me of like Redskin fans back in the day. <laughs> but they were all dressed as like NWO guys that you wouldn't recognize. And it was pretty hysterical (laughs) so that was great um i got to i got to pop my head in at ring of honor so i got to see that insanely huge crowd for ring of honor um i think the numbers i saw were 3500 and that is not an exaggeration in the least um that place was packed um and i got to be there for the hardy's uh young bucks thing which was great oh the um, WrestleMania, like, uh, definitely pops of the night went to, you know, Hardy's, uh, obviously Goldberg Lesnar, um, you know, uh, B- Bailey winning um, got a huge response. Of course, I could have just been my child who was sitting right there losing her mind. Um, but the match that actually brought things down from a, what was a pretty hot show, especially considering how long it was, was actually Triple H Seth Rollins. That that I was the so. match I called. I, I thought it, that was the match where I called it the Get Out Your Phones match. That was the first time I saw fans around us who were all hardcore wrestling fans. That was the one where they just sort of like sat back in their chair, took out their phones, and chilled out until the finish. Yeah, I, I I would have hoped that Triple H would have learned by now. You don't need to go that long on that show, but I guess there he was again, going super long when it wasn't necessary on a show like that. But if if that's the biggest complaint, that that isn't much. What did you think about the uh, the the Undertaker Reigns finish, or the the match? Or, you know, not just the finish. I, in I'll say this live, it read. I think it read better than it did on television. Strangely, with the Reigns as the guy who the very like Shawn Michaels Ric Flair kind of finish, where it's like I I'm very reluctant to do this. It really registered live. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it's I, I, people feel all kinds of ways about it. Um, just sitting there, it felt that the crowd I was with, or at least the people that immediately surrounded me, clearly understood that this was like a big moment and sort of gave it the proper reverence. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I really liked it. Um, in that, what else are you gonna do? I guess except for turn Reigns heel. But it just, again, it just felt like, you know, they, they gave it the proper response, you know, live, as as great as it was watching it. I'll tell you, live, um, seeing that guy leave the ring, leave his clothes in the ring. You know how long they left the clothes in the ring, Larry? <laughs> Reportedly, nobody touched that gear for more than an hour. That it just, uh-huh. like, sat there in the ring. Nobody felt comfortable like touching it. <laughs> Good. Good. So I thought that that was really great and really appropriate. And 
Roman Reigns, I, I, I feel like they're going the right way with him, which is if you hate Roman Reigns, boy, that was like porn watching Braun Strowman beat the crap out of him. And then mm. if you love Roman Reigns, then it's this thing um, that we're trying to do in wrestling called heat. I've heard of it. And WWE might be trying it as well. <laughs> How great was it to have a brawl, by the way, of no uh, with no Stephanie McMahon? It, it's a well, big difference when you don't have a bunch of authority figures running around, you know, be it Foley or her. I mean, Angle came in, kind of did a couple things. That's it. Uh, I just think it adds to the sort of pep and the flow of the show to just have guys work their stuff out in the ring. A breath of fresh air. I mean, and, and uh, definitely we're going to have to have some women moving to uh, SmackDown. Um, I would assume yeah. Charlotte is going to go. I mean, they, they've and decimated that And a tag team roster. or two as well, right? And a tag yeah. team or two as well. Um, so I figure Charlotte's going. I mean, I, I guess we can do this for a little while. What, what's your guess? I, I figure the way they – I think Charlotte – I think the surprise will be New Day. I think New Day's yeah. moving. I do too. Um, I wonder who else though. Any 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 thoughts on who else might be going over? Mm, yeah, those are those are the obvious ones. I think an, uh, an uh, I want I think another woman too besides Charlotte would need to move given given that what they that they moved um, Bliss and Mickey. Uh, can they move? Woman. Can they move both Dana Brooke and Emma? That segment um, last night, <laughs> it was the wrong night to have a stinker of a segment, and uh, boy, they had it. And um, well, <laughs> one other thing, what how what do you make of uh, you know they they move Wyatt, but they're still going to do Wyatt Orton at the uh, next uh, at the pay per view at the Raw pay per view. I, I think we might find that on more than one thing. I I think at the the Raw pay per view. Uh, we might have a match between two guys who aren't going to see each other again. Like, you know, like, you know, Jericho Owens. I think one of those guys might be going to SmackDown. So uh, I think it sort of lends credibility to they don't know if they're going or not. Um, So, I mean, you got to think that that means why it's going to not win, but who knows? Um, love that segment, though. I sort of reiterate my thing about man. Finn Balor is really, really small. Yeah. <laughs> like he's real. I mean, even for a cruiserweight, he's not a bigger cruiserweight. Um, man, he's small. I, I was. I was one thing that surprised me. And again, this is just fanboy talk, which normally annoys me, but it's us, so it's okay. Is I would have been interested if they would have moved the entire cruiserweight division to SmackDown. But I was thinking the same thing. Yes, yes. I guess it's the two hours versus three hours problem, though, right? Is you need – you've got to have three hours of stuff on Raw. And uh, um, I would rather see the women on just on Raw and the, and the cruiserweights on SmackDown, but that's – you know, and rather dilute That's the a great division. solution. That's a really uh, great solution, I think. All right. Speaking of cruiser rates, I do think that turning T.J. Perkins was a very good move. He was he was really starting to tread water as a baby face, so that was that was that was a necessity, I think. Um, Absolutely. That, um, I'm still not that sort of thrilled with the whole 
cruiserweight thing, but um, it was that they're trying something there anyway with with him because that was going nowhere. I think if they give him, a, it's amazing the difference that cosmetic changes can make to a thing. I think if they even something as simple as changing his look to look like sort of a heel video game character, uh, mm-hmm. like if that's the gimmick that they're running with, make him look the part. And I think uh, audiences audiences pick up. This is one thing I've I've figured out about wrestling fans because it's been a long time since I've been around so many freaking wrestling fans of different kinds, you know. Uh, and of course, with it being WrestleMania and all the surrounding events, I got to, you know I sat with people from God knows how many different countries, and I I talked to everybody. And one thing is that I think would surprise the WWE is they notice everything they they really do they really nitpick about i mean the theories and the debates about you know so and so but did you notice that he was wearing like you know different kind of trunks and i'm just thinking to myself my god you know all the minutia huh? <laughs> all the minutia and i i i think that they've gotten away from that level of detail i just i just notice it all the time on raw in particular where it's just little things that they just sort of forget about or don't care about. And I think in a weird way, they have a chance to sort of do subtlety and they have a chance to get a lot accomplished just through simple things. And uh, hopefully they'll take advantage of that. Um, A couple other weird, weird things. Um, um, Oh, the reaction that oh, oh I, this the set for WrestleMania was mind blowing. I don't I don't know if that came across on camera, but seeing that thing live and how they used all the video the video on the ramp, the video on the sides of the arena when Seth Rollins did his thing where he touched the torch to the ramp mm-hmm. and it lit on fire in the arena. The effect was even greater because they really did make it where it just kind of caught fire all over the arena slowly and uh, stuff like that. Even from new days, my, my child was beyond happy. Um, and it was kind of cool. People would lean over to me and go, your kids making me like a wrestling fan again. Cause she, you know, like, she doesn't care. She doesn't know, you know, like she's just like happy to be there. And, uh, and plus our seats were good. That helps. Um, but you know, like new day came out to open it and she was just over the moon. You know, she's so, she loves mm-hmm. Xavier Woods and he's been to the house for dinner, blah, blah, blah. So she's just super happy. And she forced our whole section to root for Bailey. Like she wasn't having somebody, she was just like, Oh, She's like, you better root for Bailey. And this, these grown men were like, all right, we'll root for Bailey. And then Bailey won, and everybody was happy. And she was running up and down the stairs and cheering. And she had her Bailey gear on. And uh, and then she she was getting tired. She's my barometer, right? <laughs> Super exhausted, but she's hanging in. And I'm like, what is she hanging in for, right? You hanging in for Goldberg? Like, what does she care enough about to to keep herself awake? And she said, I just, I just want to be one of the fireflies, Daddy. 
Oh. <laughs> He's like, I just want to be one of the fireflies. And so, you know, Bray Wyatt comes to do his thing, and she she had, like, special lights for it that she got to bust out, all these, like, different colored flashlights, and she's passing them out, and she's making everybody sway, and she's singing the song. Um, that that was a highlight for me, and one last oh, one. Oh, God. Um, when the when the Hardys came out and they're wrestling, um, Elena's losing her mind. Those are her guys. Uh, Hardys and Decay are her favorite over any WWE person. And so for her to get the best of all worlds, because again we go to the Impact tapings. Um, though she said something really interesting once the Hardys showed up. She goes, "If Rosemary leaves TNA, I don't think I want to go anymore." <laughs> Oh, <laughs> but she led the the our section in a rousing chorus of the obsolete song, um, which I thought was pretty pretty great. And boy, any question on whether WWE fans or at least fans who go to WrestleMania watch TNA or at least know what's going on is completely no erased. question. Yeah, yeah, no question I got that. about that. Yeah, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're into all that. Hey, uh, we our guest is in the green room here, so I guess it would be time. I want to come back and touch on some local notes after um, we talk with uh, Mr. Wayne, but he's he's on the line now, so I think it would be good to bring him on. And yes, go ahead and intro him, Larry, please. Yeah. We're joined now by third-generation wrestling star, Mr. Eric Wayne. Welcome to The Tipping Point. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. How are you all? We're good. Thank doing, you for doing great. This. Uh, I, Eric, I know Larry's going to have a million and one questions about your grandfather and father, and, and I do want to touch on all that, but i got to say this. So when Larry said we're going to have Eric Wayne on, uh, I, I went online and sort of checked, checked your stuff out, and i, I got to say this. Like, here's something <clears throat> that wrestlers who are applying their trade – can learn from you just on a surface, like looking at your Facebook page kind of way, the, the pictures that you stage for yourself um, are so good. Like they're so above and beyond what I expect to see for a guy that's not in the bigs that like that stood out to me right off the bat. I'm like, it's, I love guys like you, like Leo rush who will kind of put yourselves out there and try stuff and, and not be afraid to go like, here's my take on this. And, you know, you're holding the knife and stuff like that <laughs> stuff that if it wasn't done, if, if you couldn't pull it off would come across as cheesy or lame or whatever. But again, it's just that confidence of going like, I'm, I'm this, I'm this guy. And it really comes across in pictures and right away. It helps that, of course, it helps that you work out. Of course, it helps that you definitely look the part and clearly know what you're doing. But I was going to just say, just off of first impression, pictures of you are very impressive. Okay. Uh, well, thank you very much. The uh, That was actually done uh, at my house by my fiance, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> I, needed, I needed new promo shots. And uh, I'm like, well, I've been, you know, I've been toying around with this new gimmick and kind of changing things because for almost 10 years I've just been Eric Wayne, the wrestler, and I didn't really, I didn't know like how to define myself. Um, and I've been working on the Dream Killer thing, and I was like, well, I'll just try changing up my gear, and I'll wear a hoodie, and 
let's take some pictures in that and see how it turns it out. We'll go a little bit darker. And uh, we were close to the kitchen, and I saw um, a, that, that butcher knife that was laying there. I think, let's, let's use that. A killer would use a knife, so we'll use that. And uh, I guess somehow it just all kind of it all kind of worked out. But um, but thank you, man. I've um, I've always kind of tried to take pride in in what I do and not just treat this like a hobby. Um, so I'm glad yeah. that, that it's this show. Uh, I I know Larry's about to drive the car here, interview wise, for a while. But I, I have to ask. So I saw that you were engaged. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, I don't know how comfortable you feel about talking about your fiance, but is is she in wrestling and? Is she in wrestling? First of all, uh, she's not. She's not in wrestling as far as in the ring or anything. Um, it's actually weird how we met. Um, I tell the yeah, story please. to everybody, so I don't mind sharing it. Um, we actually met. Okay, so we originally met um, at Minglewood Hall, which is where like NXT has held events and some other local companies have held shows. It's like a concert venue here in Memphis. And at the time, she was working for a radio station, and she was seeing somebody else, and kind of from across the room, we saw each other, and that was kind of the end of it. And I guess about six months later, um, they had broken up, and uh, we ran into each other, believe it or not, on Tinder, of all things. And I recognized her because she still won't admit to this, but that night after I saw her, um, originally she followed me on Instagram and she swears that never happened, but I know that it did. So we met, we met on Tinder. We started talking, uh, come to find out she's a huge fan of wrestling. Um, as far as like had all the action figures, went to all the shows, did all of that. So, um, I guess getting to go on a date with a wrestler was interesting enough. And, we went on that first date, and we've never been apart for almost three years now. Um, but she she goes to as many of the shows as she can. Um, she sells a lot of my merchandise for me. She deals with a lot of the fans, whether they're um, well, you know how wrestling fans can be, whether they're very polite or very awkward. She handles all yeah. of them very well. Um, but yeah, she she enjoys it. Uh, for the most part, you know, there's always that one in 10 road trip where it's like, is this over yet? Can we please go home now? But for the most part, she's, she's right there along with the ride as, as much as she can be. That is great. Larry, Larry, you laugh. Do you know what Tinder is, Larry? Uh, you know, I don't. I was going to say, for Larry, Tinder is one of the things you need to start a cooking fire, right? So, yeah, that's right. I mean, if I, you know, no, 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 I don't. <laughs> well, Larry, please, I know you wanted to, I know you had a bunch of questions for Eric about his family and his relationship with wrestling, so please. Well, yeah, I did. I wanted to ask about your, your uh, family, but I also you noticed one of the things that, that uh, I've gotten interested in, that got me interested in you is that, I mean, like you're everywhere. You travel and go to all sorts of different places. I'd like to know a little bit, like, what's a typical wrestling weekend like for um, Eric Wayne? Um, man, I, I'm try, I really do try to go everywhere. I want to go more places, but a typical weekend is, uh, let's see, last week I went to Orlando for Mania Weekend. I left Wednesday morning. We got there around... I left at 10 a.m. Wednesday and got there around 1 a.m. Thursday morning. We left uh, early Monday morning. We were busy the whole time. But um, I've gone to North Dakota for fully loaded wrestling. That's usually a 24-hour car ride one way. 
Um, and last, this past time we went with uh, Chase Stevens and a couple other guys, and we had some car trouble, and it took 36 hours to get there. And it's oh. Yeah, that was that was a very fun that was a very fun weekend. We left on the Thursday morning and got there Saturday afternoon. But that's usually not typical. Usually, it's anywhere from um, at least three to four hours from Memphis, all the way up to about twelve hours, just depending on what's going on. And yeah. I'm usually there. I try to be there a couple hours before bell time or right at it, just depending on how the scheduling works. I'm going to be in Lafayette this Saturday. I'll be in Murfreesboro on the 21st and Ripley, Mississippi on the 28th. So almost every weekend I have something going on somewhere. But it's always, like I said, three three hours to 12 hours from home. In in our local sphere over here in the, you know Georgia, Alabama area, I know you've worked for uh, uh, Global over there for um, in in Pell City for Dan Sawyer, and you've uh, been at Robert Gibson's promotion several times as well, correct? Yeah, actually, I was. I started for uh, Global last year and won their heavyweight title in my debut, and then I was there for a few months on and off. I'm actually looking to start back there probably later this summer. The uh, thing with Robert Gibson, I've known Robert, gosh, I guess my whole life, and when he started running and had his school um it took a little while for things to get going and i had a car trip over there with i believe Derek king that a lot of fans might remember from memphis tv and power pro uh, yeah. back around the early 2000s but i went with chase stevens again and i seem to travel a lot with chase and um one of the times that uh, i went with chase we ended up in almost kind of a riot situation with jackson <laughs> james um because I threw a fireball that hit Jackson, and then before I knew it, there were uh, chairs being flown and guys hitting the ring and people throwing drinks. Um, and it was a wild situation for about 10 or 15 minutes just because of, I guess, the fireball and, no pun intended, the heat that ended up coming from all of that. Yeah. So it, it's always – Georgia fans are some of my favorite bands. They're – they they get into their wrestling very seriously, so it's always a fun time when I go over there. Whether whether they're supposed to like me or hate me, it it always ends up being a lot of fun. Uh, Eric, how how old were you when you first started hanging around uh, wrestling shows with with your dad and step and your grandfather? Um, one of the earliest pictures of me, I'm probably I can barely walk, and I'm holding on to the bottom rope on the apron, so. I would guess around a year. I was a late bloomer. I don't think I started walking until a couple of months after you're typically supposed to start walking. So uh, I was I was around a year old, maybe ten months uh, when I started going to shows, and probably earlier than that. There were um, I've heard stories of um, Paul Heyman um, holding me as a child, um, Burt Prentice, who's a promoter in the Mid South. Uh, changing my diapers. That's one thing he always tells people when I work for him is that he changed my diapers as a baby. Yeah. So uh, Jim Cornette and a lot of guys like that talk about remembering me as a child growing up. So there's not ever really been a time I don't remember being around wrestling in some form or fashion. Um, my grandfather promoted for Memphis for years. Um, and he's actually – Jerry Lawler will tell you this. If it wasn't for my grandfather, he might not have had the career he had because – 
in the early days, uh, Nick Goulis and, and some of the other Memphis promoters, they didn't want to use Jerry Lawler because they didn't know him. But Jackie Fargo and others kept pushing for him, and my grandfather was one of them that he asked to, in his words, uh, let me use this Jerry Lawler kid. He's going to make money one day. <laughs> and sure enough, he's obviously made a little bit of money. But um, I remember going to towns with my grandfather, and it was a way of life for him. You know, we, yeah. we had a van that had a bed in the back of it, so he had to get a hotel room if he had to go out of town. And we would go to different towns. And I remember being probably – I'm going to go with eight because everything seemed to happen to me between like eight and 11. So we'll go with eight. And uh, he handed me a bunch of flyers. And he said, we'll be back here in two hours. Meet me at the Walmart and walk around town and go to each business and ask them if you can hang a flyer up for wrestling that's coming next month. And I asked why I had to go alone. And he said, well, he goes, you're, you're a young kid. They're, they're going to they're gonna let a young kid do it or a pretty girl. If they see an old, ugly man like me, they're going to say no immediately. So that was his logic. He sent a pretty girl or a young kid in. Of course they're going to let the flyer be hung up. And uh, I remember he, I remember him telling me, well, after we do all this, we're going to go eat. And he said, meet me back here, and we'll go eat when you're done. I showed up with, I don't know, five or six flyers left over, and he asked why I still had flyers left. I said, well, some of the people wouldn't let me hang them up, buddy. He goes, well, we're not going to be able to eat until you get rid of them flyers now. So you better figure out something to do. And we were, like, at a Walmart, and as people were walking out, I had to hand all of them the flyers. And once I was empty handy, he goes, all right, let's go eat. So I wasn't going to eat if I didn't hand out the flyers. <laughs> who um, of, of the wrestlers who made an impression on you as a kid? Gosh, uh, man, um, PG thirteen was one of my favorite tag teams. Mm. I'm not sure why. I'm not, I'm not sure why, but for some reason, that's one of the guys I remember always hanging around. Um, some of the other guys, like I remember watching, being like in the Channel Five studios in Memphis, hanging out with like uh, Jeff Jarrett and talking to him, and and him like teaching me, um, like the like the timing of certain things. Like somebody was getting beat up, and me as a little kid, I started freaking out. And he goes, "No, no, we, we gotta wait, we gotta wait." I forget whatever it was that happened, but they finally sent everybody in to make the save. And he goes, "Now we're gonna do it." So he he taught me that just because you feel a certain way, you have to wait. The timing is real important. So those two for sure. Um, there was a time for a little while when uh, Jeff Gaylord started. He was in Memphis for a while. And I actually it started as a joke, I think in Nashville maybe, um, me calling his matches for him. And, again, this is sometime between like 8 and 11 years old. And there was a time where I remember Jerry Jarrett uh, saying to me that uh, his matches were getting better, but he never knew what was going on. They just noticed that <laughs> Jeff Gaylord started having better matches. Now, this may or may not have anything to do with me. <laughs> so um, this went on for a while. To like, I don't remember this, but I remember my dad telling me that there were some times I couldn't go out of town with him, and when my dad would show up without me, uh, Jeff would – he would always ask where I was. When I wasn't there, he would start to get worried and anxious because he didn't know uh, what he was going to do in his match because I was the one that would, I guess, tell him some of the some of the things that I, I, I wanted him doing or that I thought were cool as a kid. So um, we were at the Mid-South Coliseum one night, and I didn't know who Jerry Jarrett was. In fact, 
growing up, I never knew who anybody was. They were just people that <laughs> my my dad worked with. Like I didn't know who Jerry Lawler was or Jerry Jarrett or Jeff or anybody. They were all just guys to me. I didn't know I didn't know why Jerry Lawler had his own dressing room away from everybody. That I was like, okay, this is just where he dresses. I didn't understand any of this. Right. Like uh, I mean, I remember meeting Gangrel and Luna Vashine. And they scared the hell out of me. And I even told him this a few months ago, or last year when I saw him, because he already had his uh, fangs in when I saw him one day, and he hissed at me, and it scared the hell out of me. I just sat in the corner and didn't move because I didn't know what was going on. I thought I was going to turn into a vampire. Um, so I'm sitting upstairs at the Mid-South Coliseum, and it's during a Jeff Gaylord match. And... Upstairs in the upper level, they had a spot where a lot of the wrestlers would, could walk up um, like a back stairwell up to the top, and they would sit there and watch the matches. It was called Critics Row, and it's where like Jerry Jarrett would go and just different guys to watch mm. what was going on. So that's where I usually got sent. Like once bell time, once it was bell time, I got sent up there and I just stayed there. So Jeff Miller was in the ring, and Jerry Jarrett's up there, and he's talking to me about I have no idea, but he's talking to me about something. Well, as the story goes, I finally turned to him. And I just, as plain as can be, say to Jerry Jarrett, the owner of the company, can you please be quiet? I'm trying to watch this match. Jerry <laughs> 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 Jarrett always had a spit cup. So whenever I say that, he goes, you son of a bitch. And he gets up and walks off. And tells my dad, do you know what he said to me? Do you know what just happened? And my dad, like, about, like fuck, I'm about to lose my job. So he's trying to explain to Jerry. Jerry goes, no, no, here's what's happening. Who was in the ring? He goes, Jeff Gaylord and so-and-so. He goes, he's been calling Jeff's matches, and he was trying to watch the match. I remember Jerry walking off, and my dad said, son, that's the owner. That's my boss. You cannot tell him to be quiet. You listen to him <laughs> and talk to him when he speaks to you. I could have lost my job just now. <laughs> Uh, 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 Eric, if I could, I, I know uh, I know Larry's got more questions. I have I have this kind of an observation that turns into a question. You've sure. been you've been around wrestling your whole life, and uh, I, I mean, according to stuff that I saw online, you've been you've been doing it um, oh for well over a decade. Why are you? At least you don't come across. Why do you? Why are you not a bitter asshole? Like, you know, like so, so many people have been around wrestling, um, Larry included, like they just become really, um, you know, there's sort of a hard edge on them. And there's this sort of notion that's like, ah, the young guys don't listen. And, you know, wrestling was so much better than it, it is now. And that kind of thing. None of that, none of that comes through you at all. Like what, how have you managed to maintain sort of a very positive outlook about wrestling? Um, in spite of the fact that you've just been around everything so long. Um, uh, how long do we have for me to discuss this? <laughs> um, I actually, I started off, <laughs> I, I kind of started off backwards, believe it or not. Um, so like, I remember I was in Puerto Rico with my dad when I was nine years old, and, and that was one of my first big, I guess, road trips, you could call it, besides all the smaller ones I'd gone to. And, um, at nine years old in Puerto Rico when the TV was really strong and everyone hating my dad, I was the only little white kid on the island, so I had to be very careful where I went because they would steal me if they had the chance. I, I remember being told that several times. Um, but that was 21 years ago, and 
I've watched a lot of stuff change. And when I very first started refereeing at probably 15, I didn't know anything. I remember uh, counting a match out, and then I thought I was in trouble, and I got to the back, and everybody faked me because the match was so bad. But I didn't realize that. I just knew that the guys didn't kick out, so I counted. And I thought I was in trouble, but I never got in trouble for it. So I was, I guess, fortunate enough to be around a lot of guys like, um, yes, earlier, who was an influence. Flash Flanagan was one guy that I remember mm. being around a lot. And um, I got to grow up around guys like him and, and Billy Travis and, of course, Dundee and Lawler and a lot of the guys that came through Memphis. Pretty much if anyone came through Memphis after about probably 1990, I probably grew up around or was around them at some point. Um, so I got to see a lot of guys that – um, went on to do a lot of great things in, in this business. And I got to see a lot of guys that uh, have never done anything in this business and should probably buy tickets. And by the time I started wrestling after <laughs> when I was, when I was 19, no, I'm sorry. I was 20 when I had my first match, I'd already been around it for five years as a referee and seen a lot of things change from when I grew up in it. And I remember thinking like how pissed off and angry I was as a young kid, as a 20, 21 year old, that these guys didn't understand that they were ruining this business. Like they were, they were just doing it for fun because they watched it on TV and they thought they could do it, but it was terrible. And there used to be a website around the mid South um, called wrestling riot online. A guy named Brian Trammell did it. And, yep. um, he he asked me to he asked he had a lot of wrestlers that did articles for him, and I wanted to do one. I was maybe two years in, and uh, every now and then I'll see one pop up on Facebook on the on this day thing, and I hate reading them because I was so angry in them that I see now why people didn't want to book me for a while because I I spoke like I've been around twenty twenty five years because. In my mind, that kind of had been. I'd, I'd seen all these guys, like I said, that made money doing this. And sure. I'd seen the evolution, or in my eyes at the time, the de-evolution of what was going on. And it, it caused me a lot of problems because I became so outspoken and, and angry that people were scared to book me because of what I might say about their show, whether it was online or in person. And... I had a lot of things, a couple of incidents that happened um, in 2010, I believe, and it kind of became a big deal, but um, after that, I had a lot of rebuilding to do, and it humbled me a lot. I remember the Brooklyn Brawler telling me when I met him that um, a good a good thing to remember is be humble or stumble, and I, I did more than stumble. I tripped and fell and rolled all the way down the hill and fell into a hole and everything, and, and it, it really taught me that there's no point in being negative about anything because people aren't going to listen to negativity. They're going to listen to people that are trying to help them, and I'm real blunt when I talk to a lot of young kids about things that they've yeah. done wrong or things that they could do better, but the ones that really want to learn and make it, they no one gets upset about it. It's the ones that think they know everything that don't want to listen, and those are the type of people that I try to distance myself from or I don't bother with because I know that nothing's going to change them. Absolutely. Um, I've gotten, I've gotten to see a lot of the younger guys or not younger guys, but I guess the guys who are my age that are starting, that have made big, big moves in the, in this business, like guys like, um, gosh, Chase Owens and Jason Kincaid and the heat seekers, the ugly ducklings, a lot of guys like that, that, are 
are becoming big names and are already big names, and I see their attitude towards things, and there's nothing you can do to help people that don't want to be helped. So I just have kind of accepted that our business has changed a lot, and you can either accept it and learn to grow with it, or you can be bitter and you can say, well, it was better back then. Well, yeah, it might have been better back then, but it's still really good right now, and there's a lot of companies that do a lot of great things. So there's no reason to focus on, well, you know, in, in 1985, they would have done a backdrop and covered them, and that would have been the finish. Well, yeah, they would have, but now they add three more things to that before they do the finish because that's the way the business has changed. There's still yeah. certain places where you can get away with what used to get over, but a lot of times the fans want to see more. They want something different than what it's been for 30 years, so why not give it to them? Absolutely. You know, I I tend to think that some things are better now and some things were better way back when. Um, I'm curious of your take on that. What do you think is better about the the way the business is, is, has evolved and, and what, what are we losing that we really need to try to hang on to? That's a kind of a double-edged sword because there are, there are a lot of things that are better now. I mean, the, as far as the culture for wrestling, that's changed a lot. Um, there were... We've lost so many guys from the territory days because back then they were wrestling eight days a week and they were doing everything they could to make it to the next yeah. town. So you had a yeah. lot of yeah. you had a lot of alcohol and drugs that were being taken back then, and, and guys didn't care. They you know it was just it was just a part of their life. And now everybody's posting on social media and they're playing games and they're yeah i was gonna say they're more interested in going and playing video games i mean and to somebody who's old enough like me it's i mean it's night and day i just go like my god you know the stuff i used to have to say no to in the 90s are the stuff that they they wouldn't even consider now it's just like yeah eh." yeah there's um, there have been a few times where I've made it to towns early and I've had a few drinks and everyone just looks at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, I'm, it's still two hours before bell time or four hours before my match. I'm not, I'm not obliterated. I'm not inebriated enough to where I can't function. But a lot of the guys like you're drinking before your match, you're, you're drinking at all. Why would you do that? And when I grew up, there was a game we would play where you get a six-pack from the store and drink as you go down the road and you throw the beer bottles at the road signs as you go by. Like, I remember <laughs> being a kid, and I was the cartender. I was the one that opened the beer and handed it to whoever needed one, and that was my job. That was my job. I was, I was in charge of opening the beer and handing it to guys. I remember being in Puerto Rico and doing that and doing it for several guys when we were road trip. So it's changed a lot from that. Um, one of the things that I kind of miss from the old days is the believability. You know, there's a lot of great athletes, and I love the Ricochet and Osprey match. I think it's an amazing match. And I know as just as many people that love yeah. it, they hate it because they think it's video game wrestling, but it's not. It's, it's what our sport has evolved to, and it's two of the best guys in the whole world showing what they can do. There's a great story to it. There's perfect psychology. But it's fast, and there's a lot of high spots because it's Japan, and it's the biggest stage that those two guys are going to get to showcase their skills. So why would you not do that? Yeah. Um, so I, that, that's, the, that's the one thing that I do miss is it's a little more believable. I, I get fans that tell me all the time, you know, it needs to be what it used to be. It's not what it used to be. 
Well, no, but we, but it's just as good as it's ever been. So you have to accept that too. Mm. Absolutely. Um, if, well, um, you know, I was to say, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, David Richards is a guy that I, I had a lot of contact with, and like you, his grandfather was a wrestler of some note, I guess, in Idaho for like wrestling. And his dad, not so much, but he was still a part of the wrestling business. And, uh, you know, I would always ask, ask Davey, what did you get out of having the, the two of them? And he's like, they had completely sort of like different takes on pro wrestling, actually, his grandfather and his father. Do you, do you find that that the generations that they're like, is there a big difference between how your grandfather would view wrestling and your father? Did they have like really different takes on what you should do or were they kind of lockstep with each other? Um, every generation thinks that their generation did it the best. So I've got an argument with my dad. <laughs> I've got an argument with my dad about things the same way he got in arguments with his dad about things. Um, I had a radio show for a little while here in Memphis, and I did an interview with Buddy uh, probably about four months, five months before he passed. And that was one of the things I took away from it is just how old school he was and believed in his brand of wrestling being the best because that's what he grew up on. And, I mean, he drove an hour and a half, I think three days a week, to, to be trained, and they beat the hell out of him because that's what it took back in the 50s. They weren't just going to let you come in and pay, and but you pay, so now you can go wrestle. They made you earn it. And I remember him telling me that um, he didn't, you know, there's always an old mantra of when you book a card, the first match doesn't go to the floor. They don't do anything flashy. It's just something to kind of um, get the people excited for the match. For I'm sorry, for the evening. And now it's changed to where there really are no limits anymore. There are no rules because wrestling's changed so much that it's kind of a um, just do what you can to get over. And it's gone so much towards the Internet that people know they could be famous for something that is a four- or five-second spot or something that takes a minute out of their match. So people kind of work towards that in some cases. Um, but I remember my grandfather telling me that, there's no reason to um, dive over the top rope or go to the floor. No reason to fight in the fans because that's how you get lawsuits. Um, my dad, kind of the same thing, and saying that um, you know mass wrestlers could get over. My grandfather didn't believe that. So there's a lot of things that each generation holds as as that's the best. That's the way it's supposed to be done. But. I feel like if you can take a little bit of each one and kind of mix it together, you can find something that kind of works for everybody. Like, for instance, my dad hates that people um, tape their hands. Like, kind of like how CM Punk would tape his hands or any other wrestlers hmm. have done. And um, his reasoning for that was in that, you know, the 70s and 80s, they had the tape fist match or um, a yeah. cold honors glove match. So his in his head, you tape your hand – why are you taping your hand? Because now we can't do a tape fist match. Why are you wearing a glo gloves? We can't do a coal miner's glove match. The same thing with kick pads. Everybody now wears, for the most part, wears uh, tennis shoes or wrestling shoes and kick pads. That's kind of what's changed. Um, because a lot of people just, they want to get wrestling so fast that they don't take the time to buy wrestling boots. 
Um, that, that's my theory on it anyway, is it's a little bit cheaper to get kick pads and tennis shoes than it is wrestling boots. And uh, my dad hates yeah. kick pads. You know, we had NEW in Memphis for outside of Memphis for three years, and when we very first started, he didn't want to use anybody that had kick pads because he said if you're wearing uh, if you're wearing padding over your shins, it shows you're protecting the wrestler when you kick them. He said, or you're protecting your leg because you kick so hard it can hurt your shin. Right. And he finally he finally accepted that we're gonna have to book people that wear kick pads because everybody wears kick pads. <laughs> so yeah, every generation kind of has their own thing that they believe is the best, but. Overall, it's just learning how to kind of mix it all together and find out what's going to work the best. Absolutely. Eric, before we let you go, I wanted to ask you about the Nightmares. I I, I love Danny Davis and your dad as a tag team. Did you um, – I'm assuming you got to see them work as a tag team a good bit, and what did that influence you, in, and how did that influence you? Um, by the time I was really old enough to – um, be conscious of them as a tag team. They had kind of split up because uh-huh. a lot of our yeah a lot of our wrestling memories kind of start in Puerto Rico and after, which was in ninety four um, ninety I'm sorry yeah ninety yeah ninety four ninety five ninety four ninety five and um, I didn't get to see a lot of it, but I've they have a lot of matches on YouTube. There's a match with them and the Rock and Roll Express that. I've given to Colin Delaney and a bunch of other guys that want to study film because everybody's always talked about how great their matches were and how seamless a lot of their stuff was. I've had a lot of people over the years tell me that the Nightmares are one of their favorite teams because there was always something different. You know, they didn't have their their set number of spots you would see hmm. or different things like that. So you always got something so true. new with them. And they were smaller guys, so they were – one of the first guys credited with bringing more of like the high flying style into the United States because there's there's video of them in Continental doing suicide dives in like eighty seven or eighty eight. Yep. And that yep. was almost that was almost unheard of, you know. Yeah. Um their their influence to me has just been just trying to kind of I don't know, almost live up to that or find ways to kind of pay homage to that. Um Francisco Chiazzo and I had a match this past Friday with a tag team called Roscoe Elisa that's been in freelance and a lot of other places all over. And the cutoff for our match, we stole from the Nightmares and Rock and Roll Express where they went for a pinfall and the, I kicked out and they went through the ropes and landed on the floor. And it was just as simple as that because a lot of times the cutoff people think have to be has to be bigger than anything that's happened in the beginning. But it really just has to be that one moment where the heels get a chance to take over. And that was the one thing I've kind of taken away from their matches. And they always try to do something different. So you kind of try to think outside the box and do something like that. Um, funny story real quick about Midnight and yes, Rock and please. Roll. Or not, uh, Nightmare, I'm sorry. Um, and Rock and Roll was um, Jerry Jarrett actually had been booking them for a long time. And I've heard this story from – uh, my dad and from Ricky and Robert, and it's, it's the exact same. So I know that it's not just a, a wives' tale or anything. Um, Jerry Jarrett actually asked them to intentionally screw up at least two or three spots because their matches were so good that it looked choreographed because they had such good chemistry. And they've all told me um, – I remember Ricky Morton telling me specifically one of the toughest things he's ever been asked to do is intentionally – 
mess something up in his match. But that was something that they had chemistry with everybody. So <laughs> it, it it was really really awkward to have a promoter or a booker tell you, I need you to go out there and, and mess up in your match on purpose, though. Mm. Mm. Wow, wow. <laughs> well, you let well, us, what, uh, what, Eric, you let us know a couple places you were going to be. Um, where, where, why don't you do that again? Um, where are you going to be in the next couple of weeks? Sure. Um, let's see. This Saturday, I'll be in Lafayette, Georgia, the 19th. I believe it was a Wednesday. I'm probably going to butcher this name. I'm going to try and get it right. It's uh, Unadilla or Unadilla, Georgia. Um, Angel City or something. It's a bike fest that's in southern Georgia. I don't know if that helps anybody at all, but I'll be there on Wednesday. Uh, Murfreesboro for Best of the Best Wrestling on the 21st. And the uh, 28th of this month, I'm back in Ripley, Mississippi for the Triple Threat Challenge. It's um, a one-night tournament with three triple threat matches that are all elimination style. And then the final match is a sudden death triple threat match where the winner gets uh, I think a trophy and $5,000. But Nice. Yeah, I know. I wish I was in that, but unfortunately, uh, Frankie and I have a rematch with Roscoe Eat Lisa. So we won't be in it, but uh, Stormy Lee is in it, so we're hoping she can make it and get us that five grand. It'll be even split for us. Um, Great. Yeah, that, that's that's where I'll be. I just uh, I just started back on social media. I've been on Facebook a lot, but I've been trying to get into Twitter more often. So uh, my Twitter is Mister Watch the Left, which um, is kind of an inside joke <laughs> with. Uh, Something that happened in Georgia August of last year with a certain promoter that didn't pay a lot of people, including Paul Orndorff and others. Uh, um, oh, nice. yes. We're, we're very yeah. familiar with this. Yeah, <laughs> and um, there, there, there may or may not be video of me um, having an, um, a discussion with him of sorts in a hotel lobby. So uh, that, that's kind of where the Mr. Watch the Left on Twitter has come from. I mean, it's, uh, I think this way, me, me and Mr. Orndorff are very good friends now. He, he, he enjoyed my meeting with uh, the promoter. And then uh, Instagram is just Watch the Left, and Facebook is just Eric Wayne. So I always try to update everything. And in fact, I'll, I'll post those posters again for the next couple of weeks in case I got anything wrong or forgot anything. Well, Great. Eric, thank you so much. Uh, an absolute delight and best of luck with everything. And thanks for being a fantastic guest. Appreciate it. No problem, guys. Thank you for having me. Yeah, take care. Have, have a good night, guys. <laughs> Absolutely. Watch the left. Oh, watch the left. Watch the left, Larry. Oh, great, great, great stuff. I know that, uh, you know, when, when the interviews are so good, we, we of course, we go a little longer with them. So we're not going to have a lot of time to talk about the local scene. But what are a couple things you wanted to touch on, Larry? A couple things. One, uh, a couple of correction notes that I wanted to yeah. make. Uh, related to anarchy wrestling, uh, I mentioned – uh, Dan Wilson doing a guest spot on commentary at Hardcore Hell. Well, lo and behold, he is back full time doing commentary. He's How great is that? Yes. 
Yes, isn't that wonderful? So he is. He yes. will be a regular commentator on their DVD releases and so forth from Anarchy Wrestling, which is very good news. Uh, clarification on the Viral Pro show that I went to uh, Saturday, which, mm-hmm. by the way, um, Billy Brash, if he, 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 that guy made an impression. I, mean, the, 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 I, I was going to ask who sometime. made the impression. It's Billy Brash. Yeah. Uh, he made a well, good impression. Well, I, I, I liked all of them, but Billy Brash more, you know, probably stood out more than anyone on that show. is a really interesting, intriguing character to me. Uh, Josh Cutshaw as well, but uh, yeah, Brash. But um, I, in the story, I mentioned that the um, owner Josh Hancock worked for Flatline, and I wanted to clarify, and he wanted me to clarify that it, it read like maybe he was in the in the um, promotion end or in the creative end, but actually he worked security for them, so he didn't want to. Right, I was going to say, yeah, what, he's a security role. guy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, one, one other thing, we've gotten some questions about what's going on with Peach State Pandemonium because it hasn't aired in several weeks. Mm. Uh, and I wanted to let people know the good news that the show will be coming back within a couple of weeks. Jay West, one of the mainstays on the show, had surgery. And Mike Norris was tied up for some, with some stuff, but they definitely will be returning most likely in two weeks. Well, so that excellent. is good news. Well, Larry, uh, you know, in two weeks, we'll we'll just dive right into the local scene and we'll get it popping. But uh, it was great being back. Uh, I hated missing the last show. I will definitely try not to uh, get <laughs> hit on the freeway, so I have to miss another. So I'll <laughs> yeah, do my damnedest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's great. But anyway, great uh, to Eric Wayne is a great guest. Yes, and uh, this was a pleasure as always. And next week, we'll have three the hard way. And in two weeks, Larry and I will return. The best tag team in wrestling podcasts will return in two weeks for the tipping point. We thank you for listening to this broadcast. Production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network. Stay tuned to GeorgiaWrestlingHistory.com for the latest information on upcoming events and more. As always, we thank you for your continued support.